Hey, murder lovers, my name is Mackenzie. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. I forgot to tell you the other day. I was like saying it and then I was like, oh my God, I forgot a dollar. Um, uh, my friend Stephanie was like, uh, can I be a crime bunny? And I was like, who in true crime do you <laughs> want to sleep with? And she was like, I don't want to sleep with any of them. I just want to be an enthusiast. Yes. And I was like. But the alliteration needs to be there. So maybe like crime cuties. Uh, and then I was like, oh my gosh, we should have called them crime cuties. They could still be crime lovers. cuties. I was like, that would have been. It's like, um, I don't know if you saw the meme I posted the other day, but it was like talking about something with like murder. And then it was like 35 year olds on a podcast and it does the intro of like. Hey, murder muffins! Oh. We've got an oozy doozy for you today, and I was like, "Oh God, it's us." That is, us. but I'm not 35. Well, hey, crime cuties! I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I'm just gonna start every episode with that now. Also, murder muffins. That's also really good. All the foods. Hey, murder muffins! We have an oozy doozy case for you today. Fresh out the oven. I feel attacked. Oh, yeah, that Fresh feels out the personal. Oven for you. <laughs> well, speaking of oozy doozies today. Yeah, what do you got? Um, what do you got, you little crime cutie? <laughs> well, before I get started, before I forget, because I want to tell you guys about something super cool that happened um, during a trip that we took a couple weeks ago. We went to a family member's wedding in Yosemite. I keep getting those confused with Yellowstone, but we went to California, yes. so Yosemite. That way, down south, Yes, that way. We took a road trip. It was my best friend, his wife, Kara and I, and we, um, long road trip, it took us like 12 hours to get there, but on the way back, we decided to detour a little bit and take the scenic route. We went from Yosemite, and we were on our way to Reno, and... Very, it was a great road trip in the way that we were like, let's get to where we're going. Like, less stops the better. Like, let's yeah. go to where we're going, right? And we, so we did very minimal stops. And one of the stops that we did was just a potty break. And we happened to pull off in, on a rest stop that was on the way to Reno. And the signs leading up to it said like Donner Road and like Donner Lake and as we were pulling into the rest stop, Kara goes, I wonder if that's Donner for Donner Party. And I say, oh, I'm kind of surprised funny. it was Kara that made Yeah, that caught it. Yeah. Although she's, she is very smart. And she I is. feel like that would have been something in school yeah. that she would have picked up on. Yes. So I was like, oh, yeah, that would be really funny. And I didn't even put two and two together. As we were getting out of the car, Brie happened to pull into a spot that was right in front of a plaque that lo and behold said this was the site of their Donner Party. So I was going to do a full episode on that, on the case of the Donner Party, for those of you that don't know it or haven't heard of it. There wasn't enough meat on the bones, no pun intended, I will get there, because um, of the story for me to do a full case on it. So I'm going to tell you guys a quick little overview, like two seconds of what it is and why I thought it was cool that we just happened to to stand uh, to, to land there. So the Donner Party was a family that was immigrating from the West, the East Coast <laughs> over to the West Coast, you know, 
the following the Oregon Trail and whatnot. Or, Oregon or to, Trail. Oregon California. Trail, not the Oregon Trail. Oh, yeah, not the Oregon Trail. Don't even try. <laughs> they um, they were part of, I think, it. I, I don't know the exact number, but there was a lot of different families that were traveling together with wagons and oxen and all these things, you know, looking for a better life. The Donner Party in specific had mom, dad, and six kids, I believe. And the gist of it is they were, when they got to that Utah region, the Salt Lake area, there was an opportunity to split into what was beginning to be known as a shorter way to California. What they didn't know is that the person that had been advertising as a shorter trail um, was not actually known for making maps and knowing what the hell he was talking about. He had right. published a book saying that this was a shorter trail, that it was about 400 miles shorter, which is significant when Especially you're Especially when you're going by wagon. Foot. Yeah. Yeah. And something interesting that I learned was that even though, you know, we hear these stories and we see these stories that they had these wagons and they had this oxen. A lot of the times people were walking next to their oxen and to their wagons because otherwise it would have been too much weight for the animals to just pull themselves. Mm -hmm. So they tried this shortcut and unfortunately it was through the Sierra Nevada mountain range and they did not know that they would be caught in a snowstorm. Yeah. Um, and through a path that it was not as traveled as the one that everyone had already been following, the tried and true one. So they got stuck in the snow, um, in the mountains. They lost a lot of their animals as they were going through. They lost a lot of wagons. People started, you know, uh, passing away because of, um, the snow and whatnot, the cold. Yep. Or just starvation and whatnot. And it got to the point where Lore says that they began to cannibalize each other. So that's why the Donner Party is known. Yeah. Because of this story. And I think only the father survived, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, and at first they were asking people to sacrifice themselves to be cannibalized. And no one wanted to do it. So eventually when people Nobody did pass was away, like, eat me. <laughs> eat me. <laughs> like, mm, I'm looking tasty today. Um, they once people were passing away or perishing, they were eating them to survive. And they didn't know that actual help was a couple days away from God getting rescued. So search parties were out to look for them and eventually were found. I think it was a matter of days or weeks or like a week or so before they were found by the time they had actually eaten someone to when they got yeah. found. And, um, it's never been proven that they did yeah. eat each other, but there are indicators of it. Yes. So it was just a cool stop in my own murdery mind that, you know, that's that where we happened to stop. I'm like, so cool. Yeah. Like it's history and it's like it's got this true crime component to it. So it was just a fun little um side trip to that. So I'm a dork. I know that I'm excited about that, but I'll sh- I'll post some pictures. We may or may not have taken pictures of Tyson pretending my head on top of the statue thing, but really in great taste. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> okay. So that was my story of my recent travels and 
how true crime just kind of follows me. So does this, it has nothing to do with the case that you're actually covering? Absolutely nothing okay. to do with the case. All right, great. I Absolutely was like, where are we to do going with, the case? with this? No, that's it. Okay. Um, it was just basically some background to the pictures that we will be posting. <laughs> so I was like. Great. Two yep. for one today. You guys got a little mini. <laughs> a and... little mini mini. Um, okay. So no. Yeah. The case that we're doing, that I'm doing today has Hard absolutely segue. nothing to it. Yes. I was literally like the whole Hard time left. like, how is she going to tie this together? No, 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 no. This is not a cannibalism story. Thank God. Um, because it's a lot more recent. So there would definitely be evidence if it had been a cannibalism story. So this one I just found by, you know, good old Google. I wanted to do a case that was not too far disconnected and as far as time goes so that we could actually have some evidence to it. Um, couple twists on it, but we'll get there. So this is the murder of Angela Samoda. And Angela was the quintessential light up the room kind of girl. Okay. Okay. She and her friends, her family say that she was, you know, the person that can make friends with anyone. She uh, was very pretty, blonde hair, long blonde hair. And she was often called Angie. She was born on September 19th of 1964 in Alameda, California. And so she was a good student. She got good grades. She eventually enrolled at SMU, which is Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. So she moved out to Texas. She lived her freshman year on campus. And then her sophomore year, um, she decided to move off campus. She wanted to live in her own apartment. Now, she was a part of a sorority as well. That was a Zeta. Here's what <laughs> I wish I had my glasses. The Zeta Tau Alpha. So okay. there's that. I know some people have a lot of networks with I literally sororities. know nothing about sororities so. <laughs> or frats. Well, some of them are, uh, there's a big network, like there's might be like Zetas everywhere kind of thing. Right. So, I don't know, maybe if you were a Zeta, let us know. But, so she was in the sorority and she was studying computer science and electrical engineering. So she was a smart, smart girl. gal. Smart, smart girl. So she did have a roommate and that's Sheila with Wysocki. Wait, her name was Sheila Wysocki? Yes. Okay. Sheila Wysocki. Um, Sheila was her roommate uh, that on the off-campus apartment. Okay. And when they first moved in together, Sheila said that her and Angie kind of butted heads because of Angie's then-boyfriend. She said that she didn't like how the boyfriend treated Angie. He was abusive and kind of thing. So she did not like her because of, or she didn't have a good relationship with her because of that at the beginning. Okay. Um, eventually when Angie and her ex-boyfriend broke it off, eventually they grew to have this friendship where they just became inseparable. They were best friends kind of thing. So um, they had a really good roommate situation after that. So after... Um, some time went by her sophomore year. Uh, Angie had a boyfriend at the time. And on October 12th of 1984, Angela went out to the state fair, to the Texas State Fair, with two of her friends. One of them was Russell Buchanan and the other one was Anita Cadella. Or Cadella, sorry. 
Um, she did have a boyfriend, Ben McCall, but he had to work the next day and he knew that they were going to stay out all night and party kind of thing. So he opted not to go out that night, but he said, go have friend, go have fun with your friends. So Russell, Anita and Angie went out to the state fair. And then after that, they decided to go get some drinks. They went out to some bars and Angie, Angie was so loved by people and just kind of the popular girl, I want to say that she got them into like VIP rooms at these bars. And by the end of the night, they were a little tipsy, but well enough where Angie was still good to drive them home. Okay. So she got behind the wheels. She was driving them home. She drove Russell home first. And then she drove Anita home. And then after that, she drove over to Ben's house. They all lived really close to each other. Um, around the the campus so it wasn't too far for her to just make a quick stop okay so after she was done dropping the friends off and everything she went back to her apartment Mm -hmm. when she got back to her apartment um, at around 1 45 in the morning um, she called her boyfriend and he said that he called her and he immediately noticed that something was off he told her Sorry, she told him that she had a knock on the door and that a man, she had let a man in because he needed to use the restroom and the phone. Nope. Nope. And so he said that she told him, talk to me. Like, stay on the phone with me kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And then soon after, he heard something in the background saying, like, where's the bathroom from a man? And she said down the hall to the right or something like that. And then she asked, or there was some kind of conversation that he overheard about him using a payphone down the street at a store. Mm-hmm. So, again, this is one one forty-five in the morning, so 2 o'clock, basically. And so then as soon as she got on the phone, though, immediately she said... I'll call you right back. And she didn't. She hung up the phone. He was already asleep at this point. He had gotten woken up. So he tried calling her back. Tried calling her back. Did not answer. So he decided, I'm going to get in my car and go drive over there. That's right. It was about a 10 minute drive for him. So it wasn't too far at all. He had his business vehicle with him at the time. He worked for construction. And he was one of the few... That in 1984 had a car phone. So even while he was on his way over to her house, he was still trying to reach her. Mm -hmm. When he got there, nothing was amiss as far as the door went or anything. But he also went and knocked. No answer. He went back to his car to call. And he could go. He went to the door and heard the phone ringing. So he knew no one was there or as far as he thought. So then he remembered something about that grocery store and the payphone at the grocery store. So he went down the street to check the store. There was no one there, no signs of Angie. Her car was still at the house. And then, so he went back to the apartment and that's when he called the police. Okay. There is a 911 call. We'll probably post it on one of the socials. And it is very even tone and almost nonchalant. What he says, and this is this is not a direct quote, but what he says is, I can't get in touch with my girlfriend. She said there was a man in her house that she was going to let use the restroom. I can't get a hold of her. I'm outside her house right now. 
and that's it. Police don't take long to get there. So from the time that he got to the house, called the police, and by the time they got to the house was 2.17 a.m. So from the first time that he had heard from her, 1.45 to 2.17, 30 minutes max had passed. So the first two people at the scene, one of them happened to be, I believe, a DA, which I don't know what a DA was doing at the scene. That's odd. But, um... That's a district attorney. Yes, sorry. So there was two that two officers that showed up to the scene, and they were able to get into the house. They took note that the door was completely fine before they got in. Was it locked? Yes, it was locked. Okay. They let Ben go inside with them, mm-hmm. which is weird. And the off one of the officers took off in front of them. And one of the first things that he saw was a black heel, a single black heel in the hall leading up to the bedroom. When he got to the bedroom, he saw a horrible scene. Angie had Angie was laying on her bed, face up, her eyes wide open. She had been stabbed 18 times and she had been sexually assaulted. I don't know. Well, no one knows. They couldn't figure out or pinpoint whether that was pre or post-mortem. Okay. So she was stabbed so badly and there was blood everywhere. Her It was mostly to her chest area. Mm-hmm. And all 18 stabs penetrated left lung. And there was so much blood that eventually, and eventually they found that her heart was, some pieces of her heart were outside of her. Oh my God. Yeah. So thinking like he's on top of her and obviously he's right handed. Yep. That's, yes. That's going to be important, isn't that it? That is going to... Well, Itch. not the left or right-handed, but they what they determined were a couple of things based on what was available there. So, person was on top of her. It was very fast swings based on mm-hmm. the blood splatter analysis. And the fact that they're not spaced out. Nope. It's they're like they're clustered. They're clustered. So, that's mm-hmm. telling me, like, it's all in... And that does make me go, he's obviously right-handed because they're all clustered on her left side. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, there's that. And then as far as any other evidence in the house or anything, there is a drinking glass on the counter um, in the table. Uh, they So they gathered DNA from that. They gathered DNA from a dry cleaning bag. They gathered DNA from the underside of the toilet bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and they gathered DNA from her body as well. So okay. they were able to recover some semen. Now, it's important to note that the semen that they recovered was that of a non-secretor. Which means that they, it's only semen, not sperm. No. So, those that are secretors will expel their DNA or their blood type. You can tell their blood type in any kind of bodily fluid. So, semen, saliva, tears even. Yeah. You could tell the type of blood type they are if they're secretors. So, they're non-secretors, then you have semen, then it's the DNA from that. It's not the blood type. Oh, I thought the secretors had to do with whether or not they actually relieved act or released active sperm. Mm-mm, mm-mm. 
So secretors, any like sweat. Sorry, I'm adjusting. It's okay. God. Sorry. It's okay. Never mind. Don't so, go ahead. So secretors are people whose bodily fluids include their type, their blood type. And that's person specific? Yes. I didn't realize that was a mm-hmm. thing that varied from person to person. Yeah. So I believe 20% of the population are secretors. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So if they were to spit somewhere, yes, you can get their DNA, but you could, your DNA doesn't tell you the blood type, but that, if they are a secretor, you could get the blood type from that. Super weird. Got but it. But kind of narrows down the population. Yeah. So at this point, um, the police were kind of turned off at Ben's response, immediate response, because even when they, the officer was like, I found her, she's dead. He's in the apartment and he didn't react at all. That's weird. He didn't say, how did she die? How was she, did she dead? Or like, you know what I mean? Any type of yeah questions or anything. Um, which is weird, but again, we we know from other cases that people's reactions can vary from person to person. So that immediately, though, put a target on him. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's the boyfriend, so they want to know more about him. So they took him in for questioning and they, you know, try to check on his alibi and the phone calls and whatnot. And um, they also, I guess, looked into more of why he was so even keeled during the 911 call. Like, they just thought all this was odd things. And there was no evidence of anyone else in the room as far as, like, the night of, you know, Mm -hmm. because there's no break-in. It must have been someone that she knew that she let into the house. And then because of the degree of the actual murder, how violent it was, they felt that it was totally personal. It wasn't, like, a random you know, the crime, it was a passionate crime. That's what the police immediately thought. So right off the bat, they started interviewing Ben. They interviewed, you know, landscapers from the apartments. They also wanted to interview Russell Buchanan, which is the last male that they knew of that had seen her alive, which was the friend that she had dropped off before she went home. So by the time they got to Russell to try and interview him, he Mm -hmm. had left town to go to a wedding the next day. Okay. So when he got back, though, they immediately went and knocked on his door, worn in hand, like, hey, we've got to interview you about where you've been, what you've done, et cetera, et cetera. It checked out that he had actually traveled out of town to go to a wedding. He was at the wedding the next day. Of course, that doesn't eliminate that small timeline from 145 to 217. Mm-hmm. They did take a DNA sample from him. And it turns out that he was not a secretor. So that matched with the profile of whoever had been there. But did it match the DNA? That's the question. No, it didn't. Okay. So I'll get there. Okay. (laughs) I know. I'm like, this feels obvious. (laughs) Like, does it match the DNA or not? So (laughs) they... Went over to... Well, at that point, there wasn't actual DNA analysis. It was 1984 still. So it was right at the beginning of DNA. Got it. So secrete or non-secrete was like the best that they could do at this time, right? That was their groundbreaking stuff. So they also went and interviewed the ex-boyfriend just because of his um, alleged 
history with her and being violent and whatnot. And they were able to rule out his alibi or confirm his alibi that he was at work that evening and he was at his parents' house like hours away. Okay. So they interviewed all the men. They ruled out Ben because he was a secretor, okay. the boyfriend. And so that didn't match up. And then so for Russell, now they zoned in on Russell. Mm-hmm. because now they heard stories that Russell did have a crush on her and that's why he had gone out with her that night because he was trying to like wedge in himself even though he knew that she was in a relationship and he was an architect he was uh, or studying to be an architect I believe and like you know was successful at the time and now they had this secretor thing that was matching mm-hmm. and they asked Angie's roommate, what is her name? Sheila. They asked Sheila if she if they could help her. Wow. If she could help the police. Because at this point, when she first found out that her roommate had been brutally murdered, she was, of course, you know, broken into pieces. Um, plus, also, there was this frenzy at the campus of, like, is there someone going out and murdering college girls? Yeah. So... Unfortunately, Sheila dropped out of school just because she, you know, couldn't take it. And I understand that. Uh, But she also wanted to help bring justice to her friend, to her roommate. And the police asked her to wear a wire and talk to Russell Mm -hmm. to see if he would confess to her. So the police lied to her and told her, well, we have his DNA at the scene. He matched a DNA profile. Oh, God. Or he matched the evidence at the scene. So that's why she agreed to sit down. They went, she called him and they went to a Chinese restaurant. They sat down. There was nothing of evidentiary value in that conversation. Like she could not get anything out of him. So from that point, the case just went cold. Okay. There is no one else to interview. Um, there's no actual evidence to put anyone at the scene, at least of who they believe are suspects. Um, so they ruled all those three men out, although they still kind of kept an eye on Russell. And it just got to the point where Russell's life was being affected at this point. And police thought it was odd that I believe the year after Russell left for his master's program abroad, Mm-hmm. Which he had already been accepted to prior to the murder. Um, but, of course, they believed that was odd. And they just, they thought, you know, it's going to go cold. But we think it was him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So years went on. At this point, all the evidence that they have, all the swabs and whatnot, were just put into evidence. Yeah. Time goes on. Case goes cold. The 90s roll around. Yes. And And we know what happens in the 90s. Yes. Well, you'd think so. But Sheila, you know, she went on. She started her life elsewhere and she moved on as much as she could. And one day, her account is that she had a vision of Angie. She said Angie was just sitting in front of her. Sheila, from this vision, she took it as a sign from her friend saying, hey, help me solve my murder. Mm-hmm. So at that point, so right around 95, some of this is credited to the OJ trial. 
Sheila says that she was watching the OJ trial and she, by watching that, she realized that DNA evidence had come so far since 1986. Sorry, since 1984. So... This started this little snowball in her head, but then it was with this vision that she had of Angie that she was like, okay, I'm going to start doing something about it. So she started calling the Dallas police and detectives saying, hey, what's going on with this case? Do we have anything else to go on? Can we get something going on it? And at first they just put her off and they said, nope, it's a cold case. We haven't solved anything. And on top of that, there is... No evidence because it was destroyed in a flood. They're liars. And they said that they... Oh, oh, and they, on top of that, on top, on top of that, they didn't have a cold case unit. This is Dallas, Texas um, in the late 90s. What's the point of putting things as a cold case if there's no cold case there unit? There is no cold case unit They're like, in put Dallas. it in that drawer that nobody looks at. Right. The circular bin, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Like, it's not going anywhere. Nothing's going to happen. Baby. So this is what they told her, and she wouldn't have it. So over the course of a couple years and her insistence, she and she had a couple other friends, I believe, because I don't know that it was all her called over 700 times. She said it got to the point where they just knew her by PETA. Who wants to talk to PETA? The pain in the ass. Yeah. Because she kept calling and saying, we need you to look at this. I need you to look at this case. I need you to reopen it. I need you to find out who killed my friend. And they wouldn't do it. And they kept giving her the same crappy story that it had gotten destroyed in a flood. And so... Eventually, the story goes that she went out to a bar one night. She was talking to, I believe, one of the bouncers, and they got to a deep conversation. And the bouncer suggested, why don't you become a private eye, get your license, and then you'll be privy to the information. Amazing. Yes. Also, my guess is wrong. So <laughs> I guess that it was Sheila. So I already no, know that I was No, it's not Sheila. Okay. I'll tell you that right now. It's I was going to say, once you started saying she was like harassing no. the police, I was like, all right. It's Sheila's the hero. Okay. So Sheila. Everybody needs a friend like Sheila. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's like friend like Sheila slash Elwood's like this woman yeah. did it. And so. Also, if you like want to meet the best people in the bar industry, it's the bouncers. Oh, yeah. It is 100% the bouncer. I never met a bouncer They're I like didn't the, like. The planted, sober person in front of a drunken mess of people. They yeah. just sit there and people watch. I love it. Yep. yep. I make friends with all the bouncers. So this bouncer tells her, go get yeah. your PI license. And she's like, great idea. I think Absolutely. I will. So she did. She starts studying. Um, and to become a private eye, at least here in the States, what you have to do is that you have to become an understudy. You have to be, um, it varies state to state. Yeah, yeah. it does. Um, uh, I think in Oregon, you just have to take a test. So, but in, in Texas, so what she did was she got her license. She studied hard. She said it was almost like pa passing a Harvard law exam. So that's why I equate her to Elle Woods <laughs> of the private eyes. So, she got her license and then she rang up again, say, hey, not just the pain in the ass anymore. I'm a pain in the ass with the PI license. And so, I want those files. And I want those files. I want that information. So they finally put someone on the file again. And that was Linda Crum. So uh, that was a detective. So in 2006. 
And Linda was like, oh my gosh, this stuff hasn't been destroyed in a flood. Exactly. So at first what happened is that she, when she called saying, hey, I'm so-and-so now with all my credentials, I believe she got a rookie that was like, let me go check because he didn't know any better or they, I don't know if it was a... He didn't know that he was supposed to cover up their lives. Right, right. He's like, I'm fresh and bushy-eyed and yeah, no, he's like... (laughs) And I'm just here to serve. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Drops the gun. Makes a difference. (laughs) He went and checked, and then he was like, oh, my God, no, yeah, the evidence is right here. What do you want me to do with it? And so a, de- a detective was, was just, assigned like, to it. just, like, this guy, like, popping up and being like, yeah. hey, guys, I found it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not lost. And they're like, shut up, David. Yeah. <laughs> so Linda Crumb was assigned to it as a detective. And with the samples that were stored, they were able to extract DNA from the blood, the semen, and fingernails fingernail samples and found a match to the DNA. (laughs) So Linda picked up the phone and called Sheila and was like, Linda, or sorry, Sheila, we got him. Linda. Yeah. Listen, Listen, Linda. Linda. (laughs) So Sheila, Sheila was ready to hear it was Russell. Yeah, but it's not. It's not Russell. So come to find out the DNA match was to someone that was already serving a 25-year sentence for aggravated rape, Donald Bess. Okay, that's not a name we know at all. Not at all. Because he came out of the blue. Which I kind of wondered by because she was like, there's a man in my apartment. It obviously wasn't somebody that Ben knew. And that's the thing. Had it been the man in her apartment that she did know, she probably would have said by name. Yeah, she would like, have hey, said, Russell's, over. Russell's here or right. so-and-so's or my friend is here right. even. But exactly. not to just say a man. Because at first the police theory thought that the man theory was just Ben's supposed like made-up story or that he that that may have actually happened and that he in a rage came over and rage killed her out of jealousy which makes sense if you're looking at ben but you weren't looking at ben you were looking at other people exactly so donald bess he was born 1948 and at the time of the murder in 1984 he was actually on parole while serving another 25-year sentence um, again, for aggravated rape. Yeah, I'm just like, my heart hurts that she even opened the door to this man and let him... Don't don't let strangers into your, to your home. Oh my gosh, For yeah. any reason. So, a year after the murder, not... Well, yeah, a year after the murder, he was sentenced to life imprisonment for aggravated rape, kidnapping, and sexual assault. Um, his DNA was a full match... There's no denying that he had done this. And during the trial, multiple women came forward and said that he had that he had raped them. So they did press charges against him for this yes. one as well. Okay. Yes. So it did go to trial. And the trial got gross. By gross I mean the prosecution, because when is prosecution not gross? But um that's not true. Defense. I'm saying defense. Yeah, I was going to say, nope, I mean... The, the defense. There's some I guess it could be both. Think... Yeah. So the defense on this one was like, yep, that is that is his DNA. They had consensual, consensual sex. sex. And then the boyfriend did come over and kill her. That was their defense. And he just never said a word about it. Right. So 
he said that they did have consensual sex, but of course the in, the the evidence was there, mm-hmm. and he had um, the defense tried saying that you know people can change and that people won't rape more than once. Um, hmm. That's not my experience. But there is women coming forward, so that completely blew that out of the water. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the fact that he was already serving a sentence for another rape. Aggravated other than rape. Hers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it definitely put that nail in that coffin. Also, he's at this point... What in his forties? Oh, he was. He is a gross-looking man. Yeah, but like when mm-hmm. when the murder happened, he would have been in his forties. Yeah, no, yeah, he was, and he was three hundred and fifty pounds at the time. Um, so big boy. Yeah, yeah. So like, overpowered this woman very easily. I'm but sure. That's I'm like the mm-hmm. idea that she was like, yeah, come home with me, big daddy. Like Never. no, no. Um, there is a lot of questions behind. What would have made her let someone in, mm-hmm. especially that time of night? And at that point, at least when she called Ben, there wasn't anything. And why did she like get a off forceful the phone with him? In. I know. So, and and that might have been like a holding up a knife up to her or something situation. Maybe. Yeah. And um, I forgot to mention there was a knife missing from her. Butcher block. The knife was never found, so the actual weapon was never found, so he must have taken that with him. And um, the jury took less than an hour to find him guilty. Good. They found that beyond any reasonable doubt, he was guilty of actually um, doing this murder and doing everything. So he did receive a death sentence on June 8th, 2010. And he did file for appeals, of course, but they were, they've been rejected. And the trial, um, a trial court confirmed that the judgment was affirmed. So yeah, come to find out, you know, it's, um, has had nothing to do with the men actually in her life. And, uh, Dallas kind of dropped the ball there and not tested the DNA sooner than they could have. But thankfully, thanks to Sheila... And Go her Sheila. Badassness. I want to um, be Sheila. I know, right? I want to be, be Sheila. And I want to be Camille Vasquez. <laughs> and so there is um, something to be said about girl power. And there's Sheila. always something to say about girl power, but and go Sheila. Since she did that, so since she got this case reopened and ultimately, be- I think, because of her, got solved. Because otherwise, if she had not been a PETA... Yeah, Dallas would have sat there with her thumbs up and their butts. lying that it had been destroyed in a flood, mind you. That's what I can't figure out, is like, why lie about it? Just So, she had no intention of continuing to use her license at any capacity. Mm-hmm. But after this, they she had so many people reach out to her, asking her to get involved or help with their family's cold cases that she's the last count I saw was that she's helped in over a hundred cold cases and 53 of them have been solved. That is a freaking amazing thing. Yeah, That's a lot. 
I That's, one is a lot. Go shield. Do you have like a charity that we can right? donate to or something? Just give us your Venmo. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna send you Starbucks money. <laughs> I love that for her. Yeah, so Sheila's a rock star, um, and that is the story of Angela Samoda and her badass bestie Sheila. Go Sheila. Yeah, seriously. So, yeah, she didn't mean to keep doing it, but she totally did, and she's helping out families. So I love this that. Day, um, there's still no date on... She's like, I'm great at this. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, why not? Especially when you feel that, you know, you're able to tie up some loose ends for yeah. a family and, you know, close some... Yeah, for sure. Miss um, uh, Donald Bess is still in prison as of today. There is no... Um, date set on his death execution execution thank you yep so uh he's just taking up resources waste of space piece of shit sorry (laughs) not sorry (laughs) i'm like actually in my brain i'm like actually it causes more it costs more money for them to (laughs) to execute him yep just a one-time thing yep it costs more money for somebody that is uh, sentenced to death than it does for somebody doing a life sentence because of the appeals process. Oh, then yeah, just eliminate the appeals process, or the and then have potentially person. innocent people. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I'll poke those holes. Yeah, I will poke yeah, those holes will. all day long. <laughs> You're like, here's a ball, just kidding. It's a colander. Yeah. <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, you crime cuties. <laughs> okay, murder muffins. <laughs> I love this. This is our oozy doozy story for you today. Just the cuties and a muffin. You it's get been a adorable talking a to you. I love it. Oh, yeah, because the little cuties. Yeah. Aww. Little cuties and muffins. It's like a well-balanced meal. Okay, we're delirious. <laughs> I need to go eat. <laughs> Probably a muffin. Yeah. All right. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that story of the Donner Party and learned something <laughs> from Angela's story from Sheila and be a badass. <laughs> Follow your dreams. Follow your dreams or wherever Always life takes you. Always take the sound advice of a bouncer. That's good advice. Yeah. That's great advice. Great. If he's telling you to turn around and leave, turn around and leave. If yeah. he's telling you to get in the cab, get in the cab. But he's if he's telling you to, telling you to go home with him, <laughs> no. then... Because no. I've met those bouncers, too. <laughs> and that's a different story. But if he's telling you to go get your private investigator license, absolutely. Take his advice on it. Yep. Yep. All right, guys. <laughs> Have All a right. good night. Thank Bye. you. Bye. <laughs>